0: Tall Tales and True is produced on Wurundjeri, Yagara, and Turrbal land, and I'd like to pay my respects to Elders past, present, and emerging. When have you found yourself at a crossroads in your life? I'm Ahmad Fazal, and before I was a writer and journalist, I was knocking around in an outlaw motorcycle club, and who knows where that would have led me. The thing is, no one's path is set in stone. Before she transitioned, Cadence Bell described herself as a fat, depressed guy buying weed from bikey gangs and nursing a near-killer blood clot. Then she found a kindred spirit in the most unexpected places. She told this story on Gadigal Land for Queer Stories.
1: Talk is smallest with somebody that you don't respect. That day, in my beat-up blue Elantra, the talk was especially small. We discussed very little as we wound through the rolling valleys about an hour outside of Mudgee. Riding with me was a friend of my brother. He was a strange, wonky-eyed kid in perma-hoodie, but he'd promised me a hookup of the best weed west of Sydney. (laughs) "'Turn right here,' he said. We drove across a cattle grid and into a farm. At the gate was a metalwork sculpture. It was festooned with engine parts, motorbike chains and stuff from the tummy of cars. I don't know what the sculpture represented, but it seemed pretty angry. Kind of like a constipated Valkyrie. (laughs) I breathed in as my left calf muscle cramped. You alright? Yeah. After driving a long way from the main road across jittery, corrugated dirt we arrived at what I came to learn only in that moment was a bikey clubhouse. (laughs) It was a regular old weatherboard house with plenty of sheds surrounding it, but it was adorned with vintage signs for oil, beer, cigarettes. A veranda awning had pillars paper-macheted from old porno mags with what I hoped was glue. (laughs) a bunch of scary dudes came and went and they drank beer by fire pits. You should wait here, he said. I got out of the car. Shit, dude, do you know who these guys are? Hey, hey, hey. I limped off to the clubhouse. At the time, I was a more than 200 kilogram man with a beard as fierce as any of the motorheads there. The pain in my leg was searing. My calf muscle had more than doubled in size. I knew what it was and I was feeding it. Inside the sitting room, I guess you could call it, was a guy with a massive grey beard. He was patting a chilled tabby cat with his left hand, resting a shotgun across his knee with his right. The room was thick with 15 different kinds of smoke. Fingers of light stretched through bullet holes in the covered windows. My travelling companion was standing close by the doorway, looking very, very small. What do you fellas want? I'd like to buy some marijuana, please. (laughs) The guy with the the cat and the shotgun laughed, looked me up and down and nodded. Yeah, all right. How much do you want? The guy no longer with the cat, but still with the shotgun, went to a blue 44-gallon drum out back by a tree. It was filled with sealed vacuum bags of weed. And not just any weed. This was passion fruit haze. The stuff was legendary. He took a bag out, cut it open, and grabbed a massive fistful of cannabis in his gorilla paw. He rested it on the scales. They were the heavy old sliding kind like I'd used in high school. He adjusted the knobs in the counterweights. He weighed out much more than I'd asked for, which I appreciated. (laughs) And I saw cat hair resting upon the green and purple fibres of my pot. "'You should get that looked at,' he said, "'pointing the shotgun at my inflamed leg. "'On the way back to the car, "'my companion asked with a sheepish grin, "'Seeing as he gave you a little extra, "'what do you reckon, a finder's fee?' "'I gave him a little bit. Six months later, I work on the stairs. "'I was displaced and confused. "'I'd passed out, collapsed in a heap. "'My mum was standing over me. "'She was worried and she was frantic. "'Ben!' Ben, are you okay? Ben, Ben! It was hard to breathe. Yeah, I'm fine. I lied. I took my shorts and my undies off and I exposed my enormous red swollen leg to the radiologist. She asked me to lay down on the tiny bed and smothered my leg in a warm goop. She began filling up my calf with an ultrasound probe. She put a hand on my shoulder and she leaned over me, tapped my leg to indicate for me to raise it as she pushed the probe towards my groin. Now, I can't resist filling vacuums of awkwardness with humour. And in that moment, with a stranger stroking a goopy solution down near my boy junk, things were especially awkward. So, I filled the vacuum. (laughs) Every night in my dreams I see you I feel you Lit in the dull hue of an ultrasound monitor, the probe squished into the shadow of my groin. That is how I know you. Go on. The radiologist cracked up, and before long we were both singing. (laughs) I lay on the bed in the emergency department. Mum, a veteran aged care nurse, had disappeared to offer assistance to shift nurses who very much... Hadn't asked for it. (laughs) The green cloth screen pulled back and the doctor appeared before me. He explained that the clots in my legs were DVTs, deep vein thrombosis. That there were multiple of them, possibly the worst he'd ever seen and certainly the longest. The clots had broken off and gone into my lungs, which is why I was struggling to breathe, which is why I'd passed out. You're lucky, he said. I'd say you're about a week, maybe two, from having a brain stroke or dying. A week, I said. Damn it. (laughs) He straightened his gaze upon me, his doctory eyes fixed on mine. He was watching me closely for every subtlety in my, my reaction. You do want to live, right? I looked away from him, and I thought about the question for a very long time. Yes, I do. Another six months passed. It was Christmas Eve, and I was travelling to Lithgow with my good friend Jason. The talk that day wasn't small. It ranged from politics to polyamory to Pink Floyd and back again. My leg was healing. It would forever remain oversized with scar tissue but after hundreds of injections of clexane, the clots had dissolved. As we pulled into Lithgow, the weather abruptly changed. It became gloomy with low-hanging clouds. For anybody that doesn't know it, Lithgow is a town that has its own ecosystem. (laughs) My grandfather used to say that Lithgow was born to be a cold town because God forgot to heat the fucking place. (laughs) We stopped at a weatherboard terrace house in the main drag and picked up a friend of Jace's. His name was Everett, and I just I couldn't stand him. He had this greasy, moppy hair and a laugh like a leper's goat. <laughs> Every month he had a new obsession. Last month it was wrestling. This month he was converting to Islam. He guided us to the outskirts of the town, and we took a sharp left up steep road towards tall, craggy mountains. Between the thick, dark trees, the mountain held enormous shards of great dividing stone, with the odd splinter tarnished black from bleeding shale. We drove up to a small farmhouse where two boys were kicking footballs to one another outside. Furiously painting the wall of the house in a crimson red was an erratic middle-aged man. Terry's all right, Everett began, but he's a bit of a speedhead, just so you know. Jason and I exchanged worried glances. We got out of the car and approached him. Terry didn't slow down his painting frenzy. His wrists were crimson from thrusting them into the paint can at speed. There were dozens of differently coloured cans of spent paint nearby. Teza, Everett said. May the light of the prophet shine upon you. Hey, do you still have a hook up for a bit of garnish for my, for my friends here? Without hesitation, Terry just walked away from the farmhouse. One moment he was painting a house, the next moment he was off and he was rambling about the mission, the new mission. He was still holding the paintbrush as he climbed over a white-paling fence and just disappeared off into the horizon. (laughs) He'll be back, Everett said. (laughs) Yeah, Dad does that, one of the boys said. He's painted the house like 50 times this week. (laughs) Do you want to play some footy? The cloud cover broke above the farm's valley as we kicked the slightly deflated football between ourselves and the kids. High up in the mountains, enormous slabs of stone bounced golden light back down upon us. It created illuminated ripples as gentle winds licked the loosened fields. The boys unloaded information about themselves, who their favourite footballers were, and which of their teachers had given them the best grades before school holidays. By sunset, we knew what their favourite soft drinks were, lollies, the names of their best friends, and that their cat, Ginny, was missing. But he'd be all right. He always turns up. The older boy took Everett and Jace off to show them an ashtray he'd made for his dad. I was left plucking grass by an old set of tractor tyres with the younger boy. "'What do you want for Christmas tomorrow?' I asked him. "'I don't know. I'll see if Dad remembers. "'But he said he'd get us a quad bike one day. "'Is that what you want?' "'Yeah. Maybe.' It struck me that we were probably the first adults who'd paid any attention to these kids in days, and they seemed to adore the opportunity, and then out tumbled something as surprising as it was profound. Sometimes I wish I was born a girl, he said. I froze. I skipped a breath. The rhythm of my beating heart became irregular. I could feel the hot, thinned blood squelching in my ears. The topic was taboo for me because talking about gender meant confronting my own and that was something that I kept buried down deep, deep under thick layers of self-loathing and marijuana haze. It's probably dumb, isn't it? Sorry. No, I said. I smiled nervously. I reckon that's all right. Yeah? Yeah. He cocked his head and lifted his skinny arms up, his palms facing the dying light. He did this little twirl and then jumped onto the edge of a fallen tractor tire. He had a gentle balance as he walked around its rim, his arms outstretched. Well, I guess that's what I'd want for Christmas. Me too, I said softly. What's that? Nothing. You want to kick the footy some more before it gets dark? He grinned. We wandered off together down a dusty track, kicking the saggy football ochre as it pierced the veil of the dying light.
0: Where do we find the strength to rebel? Or imagine feeling like you have to rebel just to be yourself. That courage is often traced to the most unsuspecting places. That's writer and filmmaker Cadence Bell. This story was recorded for Queer Stories, an LGBTQI live storytelling event and podcast. For more stories like this, go to queerstories.com.au. You can send this episode to someone who you think might benefit from hearing it. The less people that feel alone, the better off we'll all be. If you're feeling like you're going through some challenges and want to be heard, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. I'm Umud Fazal and this season of Tall Tales and True, I'm bringing you stories of rebellion. And when who you are doesn't fit with where you live, sometimes you have to find your own way to rebel.
1: One day. A large, thuggish redhead with a litany of freckles called Davo asked me what my name was. John, I replied, holding my breath to see if he bought my disguise. Davo looked at me for a few seconds and then... John does all right for a little fella.
0: That's the next episode of Tall Tales and True, which you can listen to now in the ABC Listener.
2: I'm going to tell you, since we have been touring this show, my life has gotten so much worse. And it really has. And the most recent thing is my relationship ended spectacularly badly. 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 badly, badly. I'm Judith Lucy. And in that clip, I'm referring to discovering that the man I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with we were about to move in together so we could start saving to buy a place, had completely betrayed me. One afternoon before performing that very show with my hilarious buddy Denise Scott, I was sitting in my hotel room on the phone to him when he said the words, I can't keep gaslighting you, I've been stealing money out of one of your bank accounts for over two years. And the name of the tour we were doing disappointments might alert you to the fact that I'd already had a few. I just look back on all these disappointments, big ones, small ones, and I think, what's the point? You know, why are we here? Oh, my God, I don't know. I I look back on the days when I used to drink until I fell over. You know, I I smoked, I took drugs, I got stoned every day. Oh, my God, I had the most disgusting casual sex. And what I've finally come to realise is that I was really happy. I'm Judith Lucy, and I'm overwhelmed and dying. Just before turning 50, I realised that I was totally overwhelmed by the state of the world and my own life. But I also felt like time was running out. So the question is, how to make the most of the years that I have left on this planet? I know what you're thinking and you're right, this podcast is going to be hilarious. How do you feel about dying? I've always been told from a young age that the only thing I have to do in this
0: life is die. When I die, I want to have been the best possible person I could be
2: what gives your life meaning we're running
1: so fast forward that we've forgotten kind of to go forward we need to go back
2: we're sort of gazing on something infinite from a very finite position and i don't know how anyone can be certain on that are you single uh i am single no i what am i saying
1: <laughs> this, well, in the sense that there's one of me <laughs>